Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a exactly twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, which I often forget to say, and then I hear that I forgot to say it, so this time I'm remembering to say it. Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, iicgrant.org, that's me. Well, that's who I work for. I'm me. I'm Stuart. I'm joined by my good friend, Hope Charters. Hope, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> Off to a good start already. It's 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 going well this morning, I think. So we haven't been on it forever. What have you been up to, Hope Charters? Um, I just moved into a new house, which is weird during a pandemic because nobody can help me do things. Right. <laughs> and I've been buying lots of plants. Buying lots. That's of pretty much my life right now. Yay, <laughs> plants. <laughs> it's all plants and pandemic. Hope's got the old double P action. That is good. Well, I'm actually excited. Uh, uh, so what's going on in my life right now is I, as longtime listeners know, I'm from New Orleans. And so this has been a very uh, intense week in terms of hurricanes and tropical storms and stuff like this. We're recording this just after um, Hurricane Laura hit Southwest Louisiana. And so uh, forecasts and weather have been on my mind. And, you know, a couple of weeks before that, of course, we had the uh, uh, the derecho hit in, in Iowa. And so we wanted to understand some of these kind of extreme storms in, uh, in, in uh, the Midwest and in the Great Lakes area. So we called up uh, our good friend Meg Dotson, and we're going to talk to her about um, about Rachel's extreme weather, and then since it's Labor Day, you know, about water safety and stuff like that. So let's go ahead and uh, pick some transitional music, and then we will uh, <laughs> go ahead and talk to Meg. Let's see. We got this one. Let's see what it is. Okay, our guest today is Meg Dotson. She's a meteorologist with the Marine Program at the National Weather Service Northern Indiana Weather Forecast Office or Weather Forecasting Office. Either yep. one. Uh, Meg, yep. how are you today? I am glorious. How are you? I am a step shy of glorious, but I'm doing just fine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm really glad to have you on. Uh, it's, so it's interesting, a uh, little behind the scenes for the viewers out there, whereby viewers, I mean listeners. So uh, Meg emailed us late last night saying, if the weather's really bad, I can't do the podcast because I have to go do some weather forecasting or something like that. And so so I, uh, that's great. So we got our own private hint. She was like, the chances of it are, you know, blah, blah, blah. It should be the afternoon. And it was like, we got our own private. Are we going to be able to record forecast, which I really loved. But so what do you do? Like when weather's bad, what are you in your office even doing? Well, it depends on what shift you're on. Um, for me, I'm a just a general forecaster. There's different levels of forecasters as lead forecasters and generals. And um, so it depends on what desk I'm on. There's during severe weather, like storms and things, usually there's a warning forecaster who's doing like, for example, tornado warnings or severe thunderstorm warnings. Um, and then there's a person that's dedicated to doing the typical day-to-day -day forecasting, which is called the grids, because we use a program that's kind of like, I don't know if you, maybe this is showing my age, but the paint program, you know, on, you know, Microsoft. <laughs> Microsoft like, paint. Love it. It's sort of like that. You're like drawing a picture and you like paint the forecast and you have each variable. So like 
temperature, dew point, wind speed, wind direction, uh, wave heights, whatever it is that you're forecasting, um, and you paint it on a grid, and then you save it, and it generates the text, and we w look over the text, make sure it's what we want to say, because sometimes it can get a little weird, because <laughs> it's technology, it's not perfect. Um, but um, so we have a person who's doing that and then sending out the general forecast information that you see, like if you type in, you know, weather.gov and you look at a forecast point, that's the text you'll see, like chance of, you know, rain today, partly cloudy. Um, and then we have another person who's dedicated to communication. So social media and um, taking in severe weather reports and sending them out to the media and other people that are impacted um, in the public. And then we have another person that's dedicated to um, supporting our partners, like emergency managers or perhaps like the DNR and beach situations um, and just letting them know about the hazardous conditions. So we'll create briefing packets and uh, basically call them if, uh, for example, like there's a fair going on or something like that. We have a, um, a person that calls them, says, hey, there's a big storm headed to your area. You know, it should be here at this time. There's lightning, wind gusts to 50 miles an hour or whatever. And then they have time to make their important decisions like evacuate or maybe just put people's shelter in place or something like that. So so it's kind of a chaotic scene. A lot of the prep work, it's like you're ramping up for the event and then it kind of peaks at the event. And then you're ramping down with storm surveys and right. documenting everything and creating these little web pages that we make to summarize the event. So you have like these mini kind of, I don't know if emergency is quite the right word, um, but, yeah. but, but how often does that happen? Is that like a monthly type thing or is it just? Well, it depends on what office it is and what the weather is that year. This year, uh, knock on wood, very quickly <laughs> until this recent ratio, uh, it's been pretty quiet. It's been a lot less severe weather than we normally deal with, especially earlier on in the year. Um, but then it kind of gets busier. Usually we see these events and we'll kind of have a little rush and then it goes quiet. And then COVID has also lowered our workload a little bit because there's not as many big fair events or things going on that we have to support. Yeah. So, Oh, right. Uh, so normally if they're going to have a big event, you call the weather people to find out, you know, what it's going to be like. Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, speaking of COVID, so if y'all had to go in, I guess you're essential personnel, so you've been in the office. Uh. Yeah, we, we have had reduced staffing. Um, we What we've done is sort of, if you can uh, work, we do work research shifts where we can work on special program areas. For me, That like that's a shift for me to uh, work on my drowning database or different things like that. The, the special projects we do um, locally in the office, we have dedicated shifts for those. So when we're on one of those shifts, we're able to work from home. Um, if there's not active weather, one person who is normally the social media communicator can sign on from home and work from home. And they will do PowerPoint and things like that from their own computer or an office um, designated laptop. So we've been able to wing it. We just got uh, moved to the next status of where we're allowed to be in the office Monday through Friday, full staffing as far as the operational staff. So that's like three or four people usually. Sure. Sure. Unless it's severe weather, then it's more like six or seven. Mm. But we wear masks, do the social distancing, yes. over-sanitize everything. Perfect. And if you're out there listening, wear masks, do the social distancing, over-sanitize. <laughs> yes. It's all good. Or it's, yes. yeah, it's, 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 it's a good thing. Or as Hope likes to say, wash your hands. Yes. Or maybe yeah. she just tells Remember me that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been the most interesting weather-related thing that's happened lately? Lately, well, probably the August 10th uh, event was was the more interesting recent event. Um, but there's probably a lot that have been like more interesting over my 10 years. But that's probably the most recent one. And that was the derecho? Yes. What exactly is a derecho? 
Um, well, technically, if you want to go by the nerdy definition, the we exact do. definition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love nerdy definitions. It, it is the... <laughs> The wind-damaged swath from that storm, that line of storms, has to extend more than 240 miles and includes wind gusts of at least 58 miles an hour or greater along most of its length. And the event then can be classified as a derecho. I see. Is this something that kind of know when it's going on or or is it, you know, do you look later and say, oh, that was a derecho right there? Uh yeah, it's it's usually after the fact. I mean, you can usually tell as it starts developing and once it, you know, once it starts getting, you know, I think at this point, like by the time it got to like Illinois, everybody's like, oh, this is going to be a duration probably like, but you know, obviously you don't know how far it's going to keep going. Um, you can make a guess based on the conditions ahead of the storms, um, whether it's going to die or not. Um, yeah. So Stuart, you said earlier that it started in Iowa. I have no idea about any of this. I know that it had, like, I saw the effects of it at my house, but I didn't know where it started or what was happening. I believe it did start in Nebraska, technically, I think it did. And then it went into Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. Um, it also hit parts of Wisconsin and Michigan as well. Yeah. But the more heavily hit places were like in Iowa and I think Illinois. And then it kind of petered out as it came into our area, which is like, northern indiana michigan we did have some severe damage and and we had three tornadoes in our forecast area um but uh, which includes southern michigan northwest ohio and northern indiana so what kind of i've been thinking about the forecasting aspect of it a lot um and uh you know especially because of the the hurricanes um and so with the hurricane, you get like, you know, lead up, right? It's like a week before, I, you know, whatever. You'd be like, oh, this could be a thing. And then with each successive day, the, the models get better and better and better. But this just crops up quickly. Now, I follow Tom Coombs, our, our friend on uh, on Twitter, and you should too. You should go listen to his episode at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash five. Oh, he's a good egg. Yeah. Um, and and but, but like all of a sudden, like I was just sitting there, you know, he's sending out pictures of like his tomatoes or whatever. And then, and then next thing you know, he's like, I'm telling everybody to pull out of like that area of, you know, like, so it seems like it happened really quickly and all of a sudden it was going to get bad fast. Is this the kind of thing where you don't have a lot of lead up or, or, or what? Um, it, it's, it's a little bit trickier with, uh, the, because of the scale of the events. And this kind of goes into, um, you know, a lot of people have been calling this like, you know, the like an inland hurricane or whatever, like, cause it was so big and dramatic and it had so many impacts. Um, but derechos are a little bit different in the sense that obviously they're not tropical um, and they have similar damage impacts, but they're not quite as big in scope and they're a smaller scale feature. So like in meteorology, we have different scales of motion. So there's the, the uh, synoptic scale, which is like your fronts and your uh, high and low pressure systems. And then you have the mesoscale, which is like thunderstorms. Um, so it's a little bit smaller scale. And then you have microscale, which is like maybe like a dust devil or something like that, that forms or like some near to the ground circulations or things like that, that are basically impossible to predict. So as you have like the bigger scale, it's a little bit easier to predict. And obviously hurricanes in a, in a much bigger scale than the thunderstorms that developed, even though they eventually became more widespread right. and larger in um, size. So um, long story short is we can predict that there will be severe weather and that we know from past derechos, because they've been extensively studied, um, that, you know, the certain conditions are right for them to form, but we don't know if they will form because small scale things can go wrong really quickly. And modeling is really just not um, 
as good in the mesoscale and that smaller scale than okay. it is in the larger so scale. Mesoscale so mesoscale is the, the, model, the smaller one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, you're going to have a lot of, um, I know it's a lot of words and terminology, but you know, it's kind of hard to describe. It's just the yeah. bigger it is, the little bit easier it is to kind of forecast where it might go and the less impact it is by those tiny little things. But thunderstorms are very sensitive to the surrounding environment, things that are hard to pick up. Like, for example, like the humidity from corn, can impact the storm's <laughs> movement and development. So fun fact. <laughs> um, so, you know, small things that you can't really account for in modeling and things yeah. very well are going to impact it. And that makes it very unpredictable. So as, so, you know, it can go from, Hey, we might have severe weather. Hey, we have a high, high risk of severe weather today. Um, but then all of a sudden it's, Oh, wow, this big storm is coming and it's causing, you know, it's so far it's caused this damage. And now all we got to do is make sure everybody downstream knows <laughs> it's coming. Um, basically that's why the weather in Indiana is always crazy because we have so much corn. <laughs> well, yeah. well, that's not what only I'm that, hearing. Not only that, but we have Lake Michigan. Right. And so a lot of times the weather's coming from the West. That's just a lot the way the systems usually move. And that lake can either, if it survives the lake, it's usually a really, really good storm. Yeah. And depending on the season, the air over that lake can modify things. Um, it's not so much on like rivers and things like that, but it's more about like big lakes can modify the environment so that they're either conducive or not conducive to storms. And that actually brings so. up a, a good, well, first of all, if you want to learn more about lake effect, you should go listen to the Coombs uh, episode. Uh, that is teach me about the great lakes.com slash five. But uh, that brings up a questioner from listener Gene, uh, who asks using the hashtag ask great lakes. Uh, so does the intensity or direction of a derecho change when it passes over a large body of water, uh, you know, like Lake Michigan, or maybe even something like rivers, who knows, but, uh, and, and so if they do, did, did you see any effect of that for the August 10th storm? Um, I don't, I have never really heard of, and I could be wrong, but I have never heard of any kind of like, I believe in that question I'd seen on Twitter was, you know, like the Mississippi yep. river or something. I've never heard of a river impacting anything, um, as far as storms go, but I know that from my experience, just the great lakes, Themselves. like Lake Michigan can impact things. Um, and it's mostly I've, what I've seen is like the intensity maybe, um, if if the water over the lake is very cold, it, there's a little dome that kind of forms over the lake, and that can actually hurt the storms because they start ingesting more of that like colder air, um, and so it can weaken it. Other times, it's not so bad, and the temperature difference aren't that big of a deal, so they kind of just come blasting through. Um, and in this case, I didn't really look specifically at the storm as it crossed the lake, so I'd have to go back and look at radar data on how it impacted it. But I know, like, generally as it was coming into our area, it was it was weakening. So mm -hmm. I And I know that near the shoreline, they did have a lot of damage, so I don't know that it really played a big impact on it from what I saw, at least in the damage reports. I know right along the shoreline, they had extensive wind damage. Great. And I so I know you said earlier that when it's a smaller scale storm, there's not as much lead time and warning people about it. But I did get um, a text message from our university system because we both work at Purdue um, that sent out a, like a severe thunderstorm uh, mm -hmm. thing. You got one of those? <laughs> I didn't. Get, I did. I didn't I got get one, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I've chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> and it was crazy because it was seriously within like half an hour. Like that was the only lead time we had. It went from like fine skies to like super dark. We even got a little bit of hail. I was actually picking up plants from my friend. Oh, <laughs> Shocker. No. My life was revolving around plants. <laughs> I know the feeling. 
I have a plan. And so I had to just shove them all in my car. And it was just, it was wild. It was crazy. But it was just like no warning, really. So I can't even imagine if we were getting the tail end of it. I can't imagine what they were like, what was happening in Nebraska and Iowa. Yeah, you look up some of the videos and and it's pretty bad. <laughs> some of the videos, like people had their, their webcams on their porch, like for the doorbell ring thing. And you could see like when the storm came through and all their trees just get blown down and um, just big blasts of straight line winds. And um, I think I wrote down it was... Uh, it had the whole the ratio had a path length of 770 miles and the damage path width was about 50 to 100 miles wide. So what does that mean? So, so, so like roughly north to south, it was 750 miles. Is that, uh, that's, uh, east or west to east. West, that's what I meant. Miles. West to east. Okay. Yes. And then what is the, what is the north to south? It was like five fifty to a hundred miles. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Wow. So that's a tremendous amount of damage. So with these, so. I, um, my, my whole adult life or kid child, most, much of my life is defined by hurricanes. You know, I, I, uh, uh, there was time in Florida where we got hit every weekend by hurricane around hurricane Charlie. I was no longer there for hurricane Katrina, but my family still was. And, and, uh, we got 50 inches of rain at our house during hurricane Harvey while he's in Texas. Um, wow. and, and so I have a good comfortable, uh, I, I understand what they're like in terms of like the winds and the gusts and everything with these derechos right. is, is the wind like constant, like you might see in kind of a tornado or is it gusting? What is, what is the actual experience well, like? It's a little bit different with than like a hurricane. Cause in the sense that, you know, a hurricane, like you're going to see the, the definite, the bottom like wind criteria for a hurricane is 74 miles an hour sustained which means it has to be for like averaged over a, I think it's like a two minute period or something. The winds averaged over a certain time period. And then you have gusts that are higher than that. So like, you know, you might have 70 miles an hour sustained where it's just blasting at 70 miles an hour with a gust to 120, <laughs> you know, so that's a big deal. In this case, I did, I couldn't find the sustained winds from this event and it was kind of hard. They don't really talk about that as much because the damage a lot of the times is the gust. Um, but, you know, we had gusts up to, I think the highest one now was uh, estimated at 140 miles an hour with this duration. So the wind speeds like kind of rival the hurricanes, but a lot, like you sort of said, you know, it kind of blasts through and then it's done. This um, was actually a little bit of a strange event in Iowa because there was, instead of it being the traditional, you're going to get the first, the worst first big blast when the storm line comes in and then maybe some rain and some gusty winds after for about, you know, 15, 20 minutes and then it's done. There was a video that I found that, you know, like the winds were gusting pretty high, like I would say probably about 40 to 50 miles an hour. And then they were having gusts of, you know, 80 miles an hour or something like that. So it was about a good 30 minute video. Um, so that was kind of unusual. You usually don't see that. And they did mention that on their, um, on the Davenport weather service webpage. Um, and I did send you guys a couple, a bunch of resources at the end of the Google document. Great. And those links are all there. So you can share those with the viewers. We will. We'll put those in the show notes, which I encourage you to yeah. I say viewers too. Uh, it's because I'm viewing yes, you. Viewers You're viewing listener. me, but yeah. they're listening to us. But we don't yes. care about them. We're here for us. So the listeners. Yeah. I did send them a list of all these these links that I will possibly Great. mention during And this you call. can uh, find those links at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 1717 because this is episode number 17, unless we release it later, but I don't think we will. And uh, Or you can just look down at your podcast player right now uh, if it's on your phone or whatever, and I bet you see them. Uh, so that's wonderful. When our guests send us the links, it makes our job much, much better. 
Yes, I always like, I'm a visual person, so I like pictures and, and data to go nerd out on. And there's a bunch of links from the Storm Prediction Center that is just deratial climatology, um, when they normally happen, things like that. Right. Like the normal questions we get a lot about yeah. storms are all in one spot. So are they are they seasonal? It's Is it only like a summary type thing? or? I did find the graph of the climatology, and it turns out they can occur in any time of year because they're just basically going to form where the right conditions are. And so, you know, some places don't really have the miserable winters like we do. So they might have conditions longer in the year, or sometimes, you know, we get our little February warm ups and the conditions just happen to be right. And you have a strong system come through. So do we need to worry um, about like an ice derecho or a snow derecho? Please know. No. No. <laughs> no ratio. That'd be a good, good movie for sci-fi. Yeah. No. Snow ratio. Uh, shark ratio. <laughs> I'm always worried about a shark I'd ratio. I'd watch it. You know, why not? I just can't help it. It's just a disaster movie obsession. I can't help it. But, um, but yeah, like, so, but most of the time you're going to see them like, you know, May to August okay. timeframe is the most common. Do people nationally hear about this type of event? Because I know this was like one of the craziest things that I've seen in the Midwest only because I haven't lived through a tornado. Um, but like how how big of an event is this? Well, like I think, um, you know, a lot of times people don't really talk about it a lot because it's not something that that happens frequently, I guess. It's just not usually as big of news as, say, like the hurricane mm-hmm. Um you know, usually you hear like the the hurricanes have names, you know, that's a big deal. A lot of times like these things might happen um, and the public may not go, you know, oh, yeah, I remember the great duration of da 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 <laughs> They might remember this one because it got more pub- publicity. But like usually the weather nerds are the ones that know the list of all the great duratios, which also is in your links <laughs> if you're interested in reading about it. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's a whole list of duratios that most weather weenies will probably remember and be able to tell you about. But most people just go, oh, there's this really bad windstorm and it doesn't really have a specific name. So it is talked about. And I think the more we have videos and the more we have social media and things like this where people can actually see it and there's footage and stuff and they see how bad the impacts are. I think we'll probably see more of that. Um, But, you know, in the past, it hasn't really been, at least from my perception, as big of a deal as maybe people blow up hurricanes or tornadoes, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because, you know, a lot of people are like, I swear it was a tornado because the winds were really bad. And, you know, this damage couldn't have been caused by just wind. And I'm like, does it really matter? Like if you look at like, you know, when I looked up the um, the wind speeds, you know, and I included a link to the EF scale for the tornadoes, just so you know, you know, the wind speeds that they had, what was it? The the highest was 140 of a gust. That's the strength of like an EF3 tornado. Okay. Wow. That's the crazy. The measured one, I think, was 126, I think it was, by an equipment. And that's an EF, EF1, e, or, I'm sorry, EF2 high end. So like... You're going to have a tornado. It's, it's tornado strength winds. The only difference is that the tornado is a funnel and the straight line winds are not a funnel. Right. <laughs> and the scary part is this whole duration spawned numerous but, tornadoes. So they spawn tornadoes on um, top of that. Yeah. yeah. So they can they can spin up tornadoes on the leading edge and certain points where you get these little notches that develop um, on radar and they can create little quick spin ups that you know, are technically tornadoes. But, you know, the overall wind damage from just the straight line winds is just as bad and actually more widespread, especially in the case of a duration. Mm. A tornado is typically a more narrow path, right. but people are scared of tornadoes because they look scarier than a big, you know, not on radar. Duration. They don't. Be, <laughs> this might be a really, really stupid question. But what happens when a duration goes over like a great lake? 
Like, what does that become? Because a like great duration. That's when it gets its highest form. Uh, <laughs> well, or does it? Or does, does the lake? <laughs> well, like I the, said, the lake yeah, can the lake can cause it to depending on how the environment is over the lake and the strength of the system and the strength of the storm going over it. It can it can either hurt it and make it weaker because there's not as much like um, instability or like if usually in like, like for example, if it went over it, the lake in like May, there's usually very cold water. And so that's going to create like a little bit of a temperature change. So it, instead of, you know, getting the nice, juicy, moist, hot air that the derecho storm likes to eat to survive, it goes over the lake and it's like, ew, gross. What is this? This is nasty, cold air and it's not very unstable. This is not cool for me. I'm done. I quit. And it collapses and dies. Other times the, the air might not be so bad. The marine layer might not be so bad. Or maybe the storms become elevated and um, they may not bring as strong winds down to the surface, but they still maintain their strength and then pick up the pace as they get back on land and get that moisture and surface instability that they need. So it really can depend. It does cause some in lake, uh, I guess, hurricane-like effects on the lake, including um, meteor tsunamis and um, rip currents and high waves, so in seiches. So that's kind of a, that goes into the water safety realm. We actually had uh, seven people drown in a five-hour period in Berrien County in 2003 after a very strong storm. It wasn't even a derecho. It was just a severe thunderstorm, 60-mile-an-hour winds, um, went through on July 4th, and then everything cleared. The sun came out, and everybody went in the water, and all of a sudden, everybody started getting pulled out in rip currents. Oh my because the water basically sloshes back and forth kind of like a bathtub like like the storm pushes all the water to one side and then it as it goes on land the water just goes boop and slops back and forth so mm-hmm. that's like a stage motion and that can enhance rip currents uh-huh. well so let's, yeah. let's yeah i was gonna ask like what happened to our coastal communities with this last derecho there was a stage and um there was a video of that stage um where the water level i believe um, I'd have to go double check the numbers exactly, but I believe it was like a foot and a half fluctuation. So the water level went up when the storm was forcing the water over on shore. And then as it went on shore, the water was receded back. And you so, said the stage is like the bathtub effect that you're talking about? Yeah, kind of like a bathtub effect. Yeah, like if you were like shaking a bathtub back and forth, the water's going to slosh back and forth because it's a closed basin, not like mm-hmm. the ocean where it's just open and has all that, you know, where the, you know, in a hurricane or something, that water just keeps going like over that long distance and the waves can continue, mm-hmm. you know, until they kind of go on shore and you get that coastal flooding and things. It's kind of similar, but we don't ha- usually have it on that big of a scale. But this year, the water levels are a lot higher. So when that water comes in, we actually did issue a uh, beach hazard statement for dangerous currents after the storm went through and the waves and then also a lakeshore flood advisory because some of the local areas see inland flooding from the water coming in off the lake. So it is sort of like a hurricane in that sense, but a smaller scale and it's obviously not tropical. So do you feel like that's a big part of your job um, dealing with water safety in northwest Indiana? Yeah, for me, it is, especially it's just a passion of mine that I've had since I got in the weather service. I sort of accidentally fell into it. Um, I got put on the rip current program up in Marquette, Michigan, when I first got in. And um, they had me start working on a a research project where we were collecting drowning incidents across the Great Lakes. 
and gathering the weather and wind and wave conditions for the time of those instances so we could see if there's a pattern so we could forecast them better. And so just kind of reading all the case studies and stuff, I just, and working with the people that are involved with a lot of the drownings, like it just sort of became a passion. So um, it's a big part of any of the Great Lakes forecast offices in the sense that, you know, they do the forecast and the warnings, but it's probably a little bit more of a passion, I guess, for some of the folks that are more impacted by like, mm-hmm. like the Chicago office, Milwaukee office, and, um, you know, even Marquette up there, like we've had in the Grand Rapids office, we all are very like, uh, motivated to kind of end the problem because there's so many lives that get lost every year. It's just a really frustrating experience. This does feel, it feels like it's been kind of a bad year for water safety. You heard a lot about drownings and there, we've seen some terrifying video of like kids out on that pier in Michigan city or wherever that is. Yes. Uh, my anxiety goes up just thinking about that. Video. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if we'll link to that or not. I'm hesitant to even spread it in all honesty, but there were two kids, uh, I don't know, teenagers or tweens or something like that who are out on the, the, the pier and it's just that they make it out, but it's, it's terrifying to see. Um, and I think they must've had to walk around a chain to get out, you know, to get out on the thing. It's just, ugh. yeah, it's really scary. Yeah. I mean, and like, that's what we just tell people, like, you know, we look at all the data that we've collected, you know, over, over about half of our incidents are occur near piers and break walls. So a lot of the times it's like about making smart decisions on when you're going to walk out there, you know, cause it's not totally dangerous to walk out there, you know, when there's not a lot of waves or there's nothing really going on and, you know, they have safety rails or something, obviously if there's ice there, that's a whole nother story, but, you know, assuming normal conditions during the summer, the flat lake, it's probably not going to be that big of a deal, but you know, if you're out there swimming near it at any time, there can be currents that are right along that break wall. And those are the ones that we have the most drownings from. So a lot of times people go out there, they jump off the break while they jump right into the current. Right. Um, and then there's obviously when there's waves, there's a whole new set of hazards <laughs> that are there, which including, you know, being smashed against the rocks or the wall by the waves. And then you also have um, the currents strengthen. Yeah. No, that's really terrible. And so, so the work you do with that is mainly predicting rip currents and large currents and, and things like that, and then offering or yep. putting out warnings. So let's. Yeah, the goal is we kind of just look at the conditions. So we look at the wave direction, the wave height, and the wave period. So it's like the time in between each wave. The longer that is, um, like, so if it's usually on the Great Lakes, it's three to four seconds between each wave. So if you're standing in the water, a wave hits you three seconds go by, another wave will hit you. That's the period. So how frequent they come in. Usually the Great Lakes is like three to four seconds. That's our average. But on a lot of these days where you have these really strong rip currents in the sandbars um, and strong structural currents near the piers, the wave periods are more like five to six seconds. Um, And that's more conducive because dangerous currents will form when you have a lot of water piling up near the beach. So big waves will cause water to pile up. Shoreline structures, river outlets, those kind of things are what's going to cause that water to pile up. So if you get bigger waves coming in at a direct angle with a longer period, that's going to cause really strong rip currents in sandbars and strong currents along the break walls and piers. Hmm. Hmm. So let's try this then. So do you have like a top three water safety tips or top five? I have seven Seven. actually. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) three top ones I would say are... We always your number three water safety tip backwards <laughs> i was gonna do the first and most important okay, one, one i think it's stay dry when waves are high stay dry i know when waves are high we have corny slogans for every single thing like in slogans. the weather yeah. it's easy to remember though yeah. it's well, good when thunder roars go indoors yeah. you know um those kind of things but stay Get dry when, waves are high. when there's lots of lightning yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> turn around, don't drown. I mean, like, we have a bunch of them, but stay dry and waves are high is number one because 
So just basically waves. stay out of the water if yeah. the waves are really high. Okay. So, and by really high, I mean like three to four feet or higher. Okay. And that doesn't very high for a lot of people. A lot of people are like, well, I'm six feet tall. That's only up to my waist. But that's when you're, when you get to that three foot range is when you're really going to have stronger rip currents, assuming all the other factors are engaged. And so for the public, a simple thing to remember is if you see white caps, you see um, like those high, like rolling waves. And if they have red flags at the beach and their lifeguards, they're saying don't go in the water don't go in the water just stay out well, the thing you is, just say stay dry what i always think about uh like the uh, when i'm in a river or something is is water weighs like seven pounds a gallon right and and so you're thinking about it's only up to your waist but that's hundreds of pounds of water surrounding yes. maybe thousands i'm not going to do the math but there's plenty yeah. all right number two and if you have a short period and you get knocked down by one yep. of those waves you have three seconds to get back up before the next one hits you yeah and that's a hazard that's not really on the ocean as much usually their periods are like you know, six seconds or longer, maybe up to 15, 20 seconds. So if you get knocked down by a wave, you have three or four seconds maybe to get back up and regain your breath. Mm. And to remember to breathe. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Remember to breathe. That's that's number one. All right, number number two. two. Hold on, hold on. Ridiculous. Steer clear of the pier and any other shoreline structure. So always or only when waves are high. When waves are high, don't go swimming near it. Don't jump off of it. (laughs) Just stay away from them if you can. And make sure you listen to officials that have signs up and things. Because if you're there, even during flat conditions or like relatively calm where there's not a lot of waves, you can still have those strong structural currents. So if you're planning on going into the water by jumping or swimming near the pier, don't even think about it. Just forget it. Just don't. And so I know that you've mentioned shoreline structures mm-hmm. a couple of times, and yep. obviously up here is an example, but right. what are other examples that people would be familiar with? Uh, break walls. That A lot of times it's a synonym for like, a lot of people call it break water, break wall, pier, like it's what you see at St. Joseph in Michigan City. Um, it could be a rock wall. Um, in more complicated situations, it's a little bit more difficult, but it can be a peninsula. So a lot of times the water will funnel out. What it does is it'll it'll hit that structure. And then as it hits the structure, it moves out along that structure. So if it's like a peninsula sticking out, it can kind of force water out along that structure at certain wind directions. Okay. Um, so rock walls or anything that kind of is like a little corner can be where you're going to have more dangerous. Yeah. Um, and so that's the second message is staying away from those kind of structures. All right. And so then your your number three message... Flip, flow, and follow. That is how to escape a dangerous current or generally any drowning situation you're having. Flip on your back, you float, and relax. Because the main thing that kills people is panic. When you're panicking, you're you're not breathing and you're sinking. So the more air you have in your lungs, the more you're going to float. And the more you float and relax on your back, flip over, float on your back. It's going to be a little hard in waves, but you can do it. It calms you down. It gives you time to assess what's going on. The next thing is follow. So that means follow the current. Don't fight it. The currents are not going to take you to the middle of the lake. Now, the only time that's a concerning thing is when you're near a structure because you will go out to the end of the structure and there are very big waves at the end of the structure. So my goal is to say, don't swim near the structure. When you flip over, you float, you follow the current out, it'll take you out a little way and then all of a sudden it'll slow down and you can probably swim back in. So you can either swim parallel to shore. So you follow the safest path out of the water, whether that's swimming parallel to shore 
or at an angle back to the beach because then you don't get caught in other rip currents that are coming out. But if you're too afraid to swim or you're too exhausted to swim, which most people are, just keep floating and try to signal to people, hey, I'm out here. So I was just say flip, float, follow. It's like stop, drop, and roll. Flip on your back, float, and follow the current. I love that. I went on a uh, whitewater rafting trip last summer and it was really scary because I got caught in just like this weird section of currents. And it was like, I was in a total panic. So I can't imagine being in a huge, I was just in a river. So I can't imagine being in one of the great lakes and just like feeling like you're going to die. Right. Yeah. Definitely calming down is key. Yeah. Yeah, And a lot of people just panic and they can't, they can't even think straight. So just, if that's the only thing you remember from this, like flip, flow, follow, and you're in the middle of that situation and it pops in your head it's a good response just to kind of cool you down so you can at least have the hope of someone rescuing you Um, does it ever get so think about panicking so when you're in the when you're in the forecast office sometimes i imagine y'all are doing stuff pretty quickly right yeah Uh, does is that like ever an issue there where like you find yourself getting like scared or nervous or panicky because you're trying to get information out it seems to me like there's the real potential for that high stress environment yeah it's it can be really stressful and i think though i i personally haven't had a lot of super intense situations compared to other forecasters you know like for example uh forecasters at like the lake charles office um down in louisiana and stuff like their houses are probably being destroyed when this thing's coming in they're working despite knowing those things are happening it's the same thing like if you're forecasting in a tornado warning you have to issue that warning and you know your family's at home and it's going toward your house that can be a really intense situation and um especially if you're a person who is like you know really cares about people is very impacted by people and relationship like you know obviously everybody is to a certain extent but if you're somebody that's like that and i'm kind of one of those people like when you're you want to make sure you get it right you want to make sure you get that warning out you want to make sure you did everything you can and even when you know it doesn't work like we put out these beach hazard statements for example like for example tomorrow is going to be a high swimmer's day there's going to be there's already a beach hazard statement out I know that if somebody goes in that water tomorrow, which is a chance that they might because it might be sunny some of the day, there's probably going to be people that are going to die. And you always sit there and go, could I have done something different? Mm. You know, can I have done something else? What else could we have done to stop that person from making that decision? Were they just, you know, being willful and didn't care? Or was it that they just didn't know? And a lot of times we find that they just didn't realize or they didn't understand what the hazards were because they view it as it's just a lake. Yeah. So how does NOAA work with, or any of the weather people work with um, like beaches and beach safety? What is your role in that? Do you just like give them all the information and expect them to disseminate it through the community? That's our old school model. Um, we used to do that. <laughs> What's your updated model? The updated model is more of the decision support services where, you know, for example, um, we work with the lifeguards um, in the summer at Silver Beach in St. Joseph. They, we do an annual training for them where we talk about waves and currents. We talk about the forecasts we issue and we talk about um, giving them briefing packets on days where we expect dangerous conditions. So tomorrow Obviously, there's going to be high swim risk conditions. There's going to be high waves, northerly winds, good, strong current development. And so we've sent them a briefing packet um, with images of what the waves are going to do through the day, when they're going to come down, um, when we expect the worst conditions, what types of currents we expect. So it's a little bit more detailed. And then um, they also, in return, will take observations for us. So tomorrow at 10 a.m., they may call and say, hey, um, you know, we noticed that the waves are only three feet and you said they're going to be five feet. So then we can adjust our forecast. So it's kind of a collaborative process 
Yeah, it's nice that it's a two-way street. That's yeah, it's a two-way street. And then we work both together to educate the public. We put out social media graphics about water safety and alerting the people um, that, hey, you know, tomorrow's not a good day to go to the lake. Um, and they promote our webpage. They put up signage. They put up the flags. So it's kind of a, a group effort. Um, and we try to establish those good relationships with them and the other community stakeholders and victims, uh, families, survivors of rip currents and things. Um, we work with a lot of nonprofits to really push the word out on those days things are going to be hazardous. Well, everybody stay safe out there. And uh, we will put some links to water safety resources in the show notes in addition to ones that Megan has probably provided because that is something we do a lot of work with at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. Um, primarily through Leslie Dorworth up in Northwest, Northwest Indiana, who is the uh, volunteer of the year. Uh, so uh, that's yeah, wonderful. Let's go, Leslie. Yeah. Leslie is my BFF and I love Sea Grant. Sea Grant are my connectors. Sea Grant helps me to talk with the people I need to talk with. Like I just um, had a call with them this week and Leslie and I have a call on Monday Yay. to talk about water safety stuff. So you guys are awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And that's all really interesting. And uh, normally this transition is less awkward because we aren't talking about drowning. Uh, that said, awkward awkwardness acknowledged. This is really interesting, Mag, but that's not why we invited you on to teach me about the Great Lakes today. The reason we invited you on to teach me about the Great Lakes is ask these two questions. First one is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich, or as my 18-month-old daughter calls them, sando, a great sando for lunch, which would you choose? My husband actually calls them sandos also, so that's interesting. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that, that's going to be my new word for it. But I, I would probably choose a donut because I'm kind of a sugar addict. Yeah. It kind of comes with the territory of rotating shift work that we do at the weather service. We just no choice. Eat. All right. But so then yeah. there's a follow-up and the follow-up. So uh, where are you? You're at, where's the forecast office? I don't even know. This forecast office is in a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere called Syracuse, Indiana. Syracuse, or, Indiana. We're also close to North Webster. We're kind of in the middle. So a lot of people call us the North Webster office. Some people call us the Syracuse office. Some people just call us Northern Indiana. All right. Well, when I'm in Northern Indiana, we'll just go with that. Uh, next, where should I go to get a really good donut? Oh, hmm. I, I'm terrible with the names because somebody always, always brings in the donuts for me. I'm Even never better. up early. That's perfect. So I'll show up I'd at your office. Look, I'd have to go and do an interview in the office and say, where's that place we always get the really good donuts from? Because there's a place I just don't know. No, the you're better. I was just talking to somebody about this. If you have people to do it for you, all the better. So uh, I will just come <laughs> and talk to your people. It's fine. Don't even worry about it. All right. Question number two. Uh, so what is, we like to leave our listeners with a little bit of life advice, right? Uh, just something to take with them in addition to all this wonderful stuff they've learned, but you know, just, uh, something a little to reflect on. It can be big or little serious or silly. Uh, it doesn't matter to us. Just something to think about. Flip, float, and follow. There you go. <laughs> it's applicable for the water safety world and for your life in general. If you're <laughs> now, don't fight it. Surrender. <laughs> Take a moment to breathe and follow the flow of life. Can you be my therapist? <laughs> it's really disturbing how many like water safety analogies there are to real life. And when I saw that question, that was the first thing that popped in my head. And I was like, a life-saving strategy in and out of the water. Like, just, <laughs> that is fantastic. That's good. It's really a principle that's guided my life. Yeah. <laughs> and the the donut shop, I looked it up on Google. It's is O Sweetness Bakery and Cafe. O Sweetness. And O Sweetness. J&W Bakery. 
That was the other J&W one. Baker. Well, we will put links to those in our show notes as well. Uh, Meg Dotson, meteorologist with the Marine Program and the National Weather Service, Northern Indiana, WFO, Weather Forecast Office. Uh, where can people go to find out more about the work? Is there like a social media thing or uh, where should people find you? Uh, which work? The water safety work? Whatever work you would like to promote at the oh, end of the interview. The well, I did send, <laughs> Up to and including um, all of the work, yes. <laughs> I did send the links to our Great Lakes uh, Current Incident Database, the Water Safety Consortium, which is our big group uh, for people to get connected to water safety. Um, I always joke around and say, if it's weather you love, go to weather.gov <laughs> and then slash. You have so many slash, I know, I'm telling unreal. you, <laughs> slash Great Lakes, slash beach hazards. And we say, no, before you go, right. check the forecast before you leave to go to the beach. Um <laughs> Those are probably the biggest links. If you want weather information, it's weather you love, go to weather.gov. Well, thank you so much for all our sake for coming on and teaching us about the Great Lakes. It's been fun. Always great to learn about both water safety and derechos. It's uh, covered a lot of ground in this this week, Hope. Yeah, and it's kind of sad to you talking about all the deaths that happened in Lake Michigan. But it was really interesting to learn about derechos and all of the, the interesting sayings that come along with water safety in the Great Lakes. Yeah, once you get started with these sayings, you can't stop, right? I think is the thing. And so you keep creating new ones. Um, uh, so I know that that's what I'm going to be doing. I'll, I'll list some of them, the ones that I come up with while editing in the show notes. And uh, we can you can tell me if you like any of them. Uh, so that's good. So what is uh, what is something you learned about the Great Lakes this week? Um, That is a great question. I think that... My favorite thing that I learned about the Great Lakes is what happens when um, there are high waves. Like I didn't realize that because it's a basin and it's not a never-ending ocean um, that they have the sage, I think she called Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) It's like this bathtub effect that gets really dangerous when you're on the beach. Um, And so I will be looking out for that next time I go to the Great Lakes. No, that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I learned that. And I, I learned a lot about the specific causes of water safety and drownings, which I hadn't really thought about what it is that causes it. And so I think those three slogans are so important to remember, right? It's a uh, stay dry when the waves are high, uh, flip, float, and follow, both uh, when it comes to waves and when it comes to life, and uh, steer clear of the pier. Um, as someone who does reporting into Sea Grant's uh, reporting thing, which is called pier, I agree. We should stay clear of the pier. <laughs> but, uh, that's really great. Well, I, I, I encourage people to go follow us on social media. They can check out the show, uh, uh, Twitter at teach great, great lakes. lakes, teach great lakes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or you can follow Illinois, Indiana sea grant, at I L I N C grant. Yep. And this was going to be the week in which I actually created credits to read. However, I failed to do that. Um, so I encourage you to look down in your podcast player for all the credits. Thank you so much for listening and, uh, keep grating those lakes. And please be safe. Yes. So did you tell Meg how many plants you have? You say, oh, I was looking at plants. What is the current plant count? 97. 97 plants. (laughs) And actually, I just got two more because I asked a friend to pick up fake plants from Ikea, but they ended up being real. real. So now I have two more plants to take care of. (laughs) I'm up to 99. 99. In your house or like outside? In my house. (laughs)
Do you have like an av like a like a planetarium kind of deal? I have a plant room. My sunroom is my plant my room. Sunroom it's really pretty. <laughs> I am so you need to like send me pictures of that. Like I just made a Zen garden in my backyard. Like I'm Ooh, like Okay, right I'll now. send you pictures of my plant room if you send me pictures of that Zen garden. And you just sit in your backyard saying flip float. I do. Hello. Oh no! Yeah, she's like meditating. I sit on my giant piece of schist rock, <laughs> and I just—I don't give a schist, and I just. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm done with geology. No, that's all good. Head. That's all good. Hey, do you mind if I include that in the at the end? We sometimes we have goofy little things, sure. but I don't want—I don't want your schist to be all over the podcast if you don't want it there. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a geology joke that I'm more than proud of. <laughs>